Cool. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for joining the first uh, or one of the first interviews that Growth Mentor will be doing. Uh, I'm very excited to be hosting this and to be asking you a bunch of questions all around the world of startup marketing and analytics. Um, this is uh, pretty raw, so I'm going to keep it uh, light. We've got some questions, but we're going to organically go through and see if there's any areas that seem particularly interesting uh, for our audience. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, got my growth mentor cap on, obviously. And um, <laughs> why don't you give a brief description of what you do, your experience, and what you're looking to do in the future? Sure, yeah. So um, I, I describe myself now as like a recovering agency owner. Uh, so yeah, uh, so I, I co-founded a company called Ladder, uh, which uh, we grew to 50 people and actually like a bunch of the growth mentor mentors are, uh, are Ladder employees or ex-Ladder employees as well, which is pretty cool. Um, but, uh, but, you know, kind of got um, burned out from that game. You know, the agency game is tough, like you, you know this as well, mm. um, you know, uh, you know, I was managing managers who managed other managers and, <laughs> you know, wanted to kind of get more technical again. Uh, so, so left uh, just at the height of COVID and started working on a new business uh, called Vex Power, uh, which is uh, solving one of the big problems that we always faced at Ladder, which is training. Um, so uh, the way we do it is with simulator-based courses, uh, and it's very focused on data and analytics, kind of teaches you how to do marketing mix modeling or you know cohort analysis or pricing optimization all these things that you know you might not actually know how to do in your organization you might not be able to get on the job training for so uh you you know watch these videos and you go through the simulator and you kind of get that on the job training from from me or from uh someone else who's produced the course cool and you bring all your sort of experience from ladder into this very practical course um, and for those yeah. who haven't heard of Michael before, um, I'm very excited to be uh, on the other side of this interview because uh, I've been following Michael since he was writing blog articles at Ladder, uh, and now I'm a, a member at Vex Power. And uh, I've been a big fan of all your work. I've personally, it's been very uh, valuable to me. Um, so I'm very excited to be able to ask you questions and sort of dig into your insights. Yeah, yeah, that's no, great. Um, I, I mean, it's it's kind of nuts. Like we, you know, we were just like a, you know, 10, 12 person agency when we started writing content. Um, and I, uh, I actually put my salary on the line to hire our first content writer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was like, I wouldn't be able to pay myself if uh, he didn't get a certain number of leads uh, <laughs> in the first three months. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I'm glad it worked out, but like we ended up getting, you know, 60% of our leads directly from content. Um, and, you know, still to this day, people, you know, join Vex Power because they're like, oh, I remember you writing a lot of good stuff at Ladder. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I think content marketing has been a real, uh, real benefit, a real trajectory changer for, uh, for mm. my career. I think the fact that, uh, you know, content marketing in this field is such a highly competitive space. There is already so many good people. So the fact that you're mm. generating leads means that the, the quality of your content must be at the top of its game, uh, which I can attest to. So the theme for today's conversation is around uh, iOS 14.5 GDPR um, and all the new privacy regulations and everything that's changing. What does that mean for me and my career? Um, do you want to expand on yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So uh, I thought this was a topic that's at the top of everyone's minds because we've seen a seismic shift now in the way that you know tracking is done. Like tracking uh, as we traditionally have, have done it is broken now <laughs> um, uh, because Apple has given uh, users uh, the right to choose whether they want to be tracked. And uh, obviously when the prompt comes up uh, on, on the app, uh, it's worded in such a way uh, that makes it sound very scary. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's like nobody really wants like companies to track them around the web. Uh, but ob obviously, you know, there are all sorts of implications, right? Like uh, there are a lot of small businesses that are really hurting now because their Facebook ads aren't working as well as mm. they used to. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, people thinking about what their career is going to be now. Like, should I actually go into analytics? Should I be more data-driven or should I just go back to doing brand advertising? Um, uh, so, so I think it's a, it's a really interesting topic and one that I've been swimming in a lot because, uh, you know, a lot of our um, work at Ladder was you know, trying to prove that we were doing a good job. 
um, and and like find out what's working, what's not working, um, as well as you know with uh, Vex Power, uh, a lot of what I'm teaching is attribution and marketing attribution. And mm. uh, actually, we are, we even have a course that is like help my <laughs> iOS 14 has broken my tracking. What do I do? So, uh, so yeah, it's a uh, top of mind uh, all the time uh, over the past couple of years. Yeah. So I think. Um... You know, I think analytics and attribution is a, is a concept that is being increasingly brought to light and it's not exclusively for developers as it used to be. I think more and more people are paying attention yeah. and trying to understand it. And I really think that from my perspective, having worked with startups, that everyone in the company should have a basic understanding of how that process works, even if they're not directly involved, because I think it's so integral, just being able to really understand where your customers are coming from and how they're interacting. Um, I know that with the changes from Apple and I imagine future EU GDPR related changes with Google and storing data in the EU, there's going to be lots of, uh, of, of changes there. We're going to go into yeah. this in a much more deeper um, uh, phase a bit later, but I wanted to get your perspective as someone who's been doing this for a few years. What is your opinion on the changes as a broad sense and where do you think it's going to go and how does this affect uh, both current marketers, and then we'll we'll talk about uh, if this is you know the the going into it as a career as we move on. Yeah, I think it's it's an arms race, uh, and it always has been. Um, you know, like uh, marketers ruin everything that they get into <laughs> eventually. Uh, you know, like uh, in the golden age of advertising, it was uh, you know magazines and coupons, and um, and uh, you know marketers were A/B testing what what. Uh, you know what copy drove the most coupon redemptions, um, but but then you know eventually you know now when I get a magazine at the at the door, um, I just throw it away because it's like probably spam and you know full of advertising. Like it's not you know it doesn't have like useful content in it anymore. Um, and I get all of my kind of information from uh, from you know, Google uh, and and Google advertising has you know remarkably not uh, really broken Google. Like they've been pretty smart uh, historically about inserting you know the right number of ads and kind of making them more useful kind of incentivizing advertising uh, advertisers to do good behavior but um but i think uh you know it's always been an arms race like nobody really wants to be tracked but everyone wants content for free um and what happens is a new channel will come up like tiktok uh and uh and, and like everyone moved from facebook to tiktok because facebook has ads and it's not cool anymore and your grandpa your grandparents are on facebook uh but then um you know now tiktok is this new cool thing uh, obviously they're you know monetizing yeah everyone has to monetize eventually you can't just you know provide uh, social networking for free or you know uh you know news uh, you know news for free uh, like all of these things are supported by ads and on the flip side um you know small businesses need a way to like get known in the world uh, you know to go from small to big um and obviously big businesses aren't don't really get hurt when these shifts happen uh, because they already have a lot of data and they already have a lot of kind of financial muscle. Like they, if they have a big audience, they can they can usually track it much better than someone who's borrowing someone else's audience. Um, so, so I think this has always happened. Like advertisers have always tried to innovate to you know close the gap on tracking, but I don't think it will ever happen. You know, I don't think we'll ever have perfect tracking. And when we do, then it will be almost too effective, and and uh, you know there'll be a backlash, right? So uh, I think this is always a game that we you know need to learn how to play um but um i think there's a lot that you can still do to um you know to to directionally understand what is working and what's not in in your advertising so i guess this leads me into my next question which is how would you see the skill set of a um sort of digital marketer slash analytics expert go from what it was say I was about to say five years ago, but the industry has completely changed from five years ago. I'd say from <laughs> yeah, what it is now ago. to what it's moving into. How is it becoming less technical, more technical, more, I don't know, mathematical, more creative? How would you see that process evolving? Yeah, I think it's it's bifurcating. Like it's splitting into two, uh, two groups. Um, on one hand, uh, you know, one way to tell if something is working is to like, cause a really big impact. Um, and I think that the only way you can really do that nowadays is by uh, doing a lot of really good creative uh, testing. So I think, um, you know, a lot of people kind of moving more into, you know, let's generate really interesting creative, let's do like a big 
uh, ad or you know piece of content that gets talked about, uh, and then you don't need um, statistics uh, if it works really well. Like um, there's a famous quote. I can't remember who said it. I'll have to look it up. But it was um, you know if if you need to calculate statistical significance, you probably need to run a better experiment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like that. Uh, it's like if, yeah. If if uh, if you do something big like uh, Coinbase you know, with a QR code ad in the Super Bowl, uh, like you don't really need attribution to see that that caused a huge spike in, you know, searches for Coinbase, registrations, et cetera. And it's probably not gonna, that spike's not gonna be explained by anything else. Mm. At the same time, uh, you have people who kind of get more technical and more statistical uh, because, you know, there are businesses that do still have a lot of data. Um, and, uh, you know, like if you work for a subscription company like Netflix, uh, that, that's all powered by data. You know, you need to build recommendation engines to decide, you know, what things to show. Um, you know, you need to kind of uh, understand, like when you invest in a new piece of content, is it going to work or is it not? Um, you know, you need to be able to categorize video uh, at scale and, and say, like, these are all the horror movies. These are all the comedy movies. These are the, you know, period pieces uh, based on real life events <laughs> um, from the 1960s or whatever, you know, like it's uh, like you need all these tags. And I think like that's not something that can be done at human scale. Like it needs to be mm. automated, needs to be uh, kind of done analytically. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people are using things like marketing mix modeling now for attribution um, because uh, it has the benefit of like not actually needing user level data, uh, so it's robust to these privacy changes. Uh, but that is a much harder thing to do than just looking at Google Analytics. Like it's a project that might take you know uh, anything from a couple of days to a couple of weeks, um, and uh, you know to get it working always on uh, requires a really really in depth knowledge of statistics um, and, and engineering kind of data pipelines. So kind of seeing people go into two groups. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's um, from my perspective, um, I, I never really liked maths at school, but it's something that I, I really have mm. to spend a lot of time learning now. Yeah, I failed maths more... at school, actually. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, glad, yeah. uh, I'm glad to hear that because it makes me feel slightly better. I was in the bottom set and uh yeah but it's, it's I, 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 had to, I had to give it up at a level because uh, i didn't pass the uh, as <laughs> um and and then um actually my i did i studied business at uh university uh but dropped all of the um all of the marketing <laughs> uh, uh requirements uh and also didn't do anything any maths uh with it so um it was uh just kind of luck that i ended up learning how to do pivot tables in excel and, <laughs> uh, and then and then and then you know, got like an early kind of google ads job and then started to see the power of maths that way mm. Mm. yeah i think um when you're in the industry you know I, I did a presentation not too long ago about uh about growth marketing, startup marketing. And, and really, you know, when I talked about data, I didn't talk about data and marketing almost being a separate activity, but almost completely integrated because they're so uh, important to each other. Um, yeah. Which, um, and thinking about that a bit. So do you think there'll actually be a role uh, for people uh, in a post uh, iOS 14.5 world? Or do you think that these skills will be taken on by existing marketers or, or maybe other people in the company? Yeah, good question. Um, the way I see it is like, uh, you know, when, when you're starting a business, you you want to talk to customers, right? And and like that's sales, right? Like one, one-to-one kind of talking of customers or, you know, or, or kind of like a customer service, kind of understanding what your existing customers want. Uh, for me, marketing is just uh, doing that at scale. So obviously you can't do like, you know, a thousand interviews um so you have to look at google analytics and see what a thousand people are doing kind of observe their behavior instead um so i think certain types of businesses will always need um you know to do that at scale uh, so for mm. me marketing is just that you know kind of built up and um you know, regardless of what you know technology is available regardless of what rules there are that's that limit kind of certain practices um you're still going to need to do that Right. Uh, actually, a lot of the analysis, the thing that really struck me at Ladder was like most of the analysis we did was actually really simple. You know, it was like this ad performed better than this ad, you know, or like 
um, you know, we're, we're spending this much and, and, uh, and then uh, the, the ROI is uh, dropped off a cliff um, or, or the ROI is like increased a lot, like what happened? And, and it's, it's just kind of basic comparison. It's like, oh, well, this campaign went up and this campaign went down. Um, and and it, you know, it wasn't rocket science. Like we did do a lot of uh, data science type stuff, uh, but it was, it was pretty niche and, and like uh, only really applicable to very, very big clients. I think just uh, understanding like the fundamentals of statistics and the fundamentals of like how to do a pivot table in Excel uh, is really like 18, 90% of the job. Um, and mm. what you really need is like people who think analytically or think about kind of technical kind of systems uh, rather than necessarily like, you know, someone who's like in a, a PhD in statistics because those, those people are actually like pretty cheap to hire like that. And, and you don't need a lot of their time uh, because mm. it's very niche, uh, you know, what, what they can do for your business unless you're at massive scale. Do you think people um, are going to need these skills moving forwards with the introduction of no code and uh, um, simplified systems? You know, even GA4 has a slightly yeah. more simple, easier, user-friendly interface, shall we say. Do people need to yeah. learn the technical side? Yeah, actually, I'm not a big fan of GA4. <laughs> Maybe I've just, um, uh, you know, just, just really wedded to the old version. Uh, I, I but, don't think um, anyone is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think I don't find it as, as user friendly, but um, but yeah, no, I think uh, no code is an interesting one because you know I know how to code now. I you know uh, I, I was coding for five years at, at Ladder, like in evenings and weekends, um, you know, just uh, like you know, it wasn't much, but it was just like learning how to add tracking to the website, you know, learning how to automate some stuff, and uh, and then when I left Ladder, I was coding you know twenty hours uh, a week and actually more recently, more, more like 40 hours a week uh, to build VEX power. Um, so I actually know how to code, but um, but like I use no code tools all the time. Like there's no there's no reason why I would, you know, automate something. Uh, like there's no reason why I would like spend a lot of time building a connector into Typeform uh, for surveys when I could just like hook up Zapier. Uh, and then whenever someone fills in a survey, then it just sends, uh, sends it onto the sheet that I'm storing them all in. You know, like uh, I, I use Notion a lot for, um, you know, a lot of the backend stuff mm. and uh, kind of use it as a database as well as kind of note, note, keep, uh, note keeping apps. It's like, it's no code really to me. It's It's not like, it's not actually easier than coding. <laughs> um, like coding is learning a language, just like learning Spanish, right? Like, yeah, it's like slightly more difficult because uh, computers are very precise in how they talk, uh, but you also need to be very precise in how you think when you build a no-code system. Like mm -hmm. it's systems thinking that's important, not necessarily the language. The language is what looks scary, just like when you're learning Spanish and grammar sounds really hard, but like, you know, it's not, it's not like learning to speak Spanish. It's like, you know, learning to be interesting in Spanish is the hard part. <laughs> um, you know, learning to have a conversation in a business meeting in Spanish is the hard part. Um, you know, not just memorizing words. Um, and that's the same with coding. Uh, you know, mm. like no code uh, does make it easier and more accessible, uh, but you still need to think like a programmer. You still, like, I, I think it's, you know, just as valid, um, you know, like I, I don't see a difference between a no code engineer and an engineer. Like if you get the job done, it doesn't really matter who wrote the code. Um, yeah. uh, but, but like getting the job done, like understanding how to automate something is, is really is like actually the hard part. So do you think um, people are going, do people need a computer science degree in order to get into the, the industry? I hope not. Like, I don't have one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, the people I know who are coding full time, I uh, don't have one. Uh, I think it's it's helpful, obviously, like if you're in a situation where, you know, you studied hard and you went to the right schools and um, you ended up with like a CS degree from Stanford, uh, then, yeah, you're gonna, probably going to do a lot better. Like, um, you know, Facebook will hire you for yeah, 120, 150 grand a year plus stock options <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, straight out of the class. So, uh, so, so, you know, why not? Um, why not do that? Like if you can do that. And, and I think that you'll probably work on more challenging problems uh, and, 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 and really good money. Uh, but like vast, vast majority of people who write code every day don't actually, you know, don't actually have a CS degree. Um, and, mm. and I think you can learn CS afterwards. Like everything that you learn in MIT uh, or Stanford, like it's available online for free. You can self-learn that stuff if you're motivated enough. So, um, so, and that, that's, you know, kind of what I've been doing. 
Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think it's really that important to have a CS degree. Um, I think it can help, but it's just like one potential path. Hmm. So um, actually, that's a good question. What if someone wants to get into the field apart from signing up to VexPower? What else yeah. must they do to, you know, how how do you start? Do you need to learn the fundamentals of statistics first? Do you need to understand how businesses operate? Like what what kind of what would say the first like six months of learning look like? Yeah, good question. So I think um, it doesn't work to just um, just like understand the problem side, like just understand business. Uh, because if you don't know what's possible with automation, you'll just never automate. And if, in fact, if you go too far in your career without learning statistics or without learning coding uh, or no code, um, then uh, you just will develop the mindset that it, like you'll never think of, like you won't be a native programmer, right? Like you, you, you'll think of business solutions and human solutions first. And that is still a great career, but it's not, it's going to be very, very hard to unlearn that. Um, and the, the further you go, uh, I think that uh, I was quite lucky in that in my first job, uh, everyone there used Excel really aggressively. So for me, that was like my introduction, like Excel is the biggest no code tool uh, in history. Right. Um, and, and uh, you know, you can even code in Excel as well. Uh, so, so I think that like if you are doing technical stuff like that and you're kind of solving problems with Excel templates, you know, you, um, you're kind of learning how to do macros, uh, then you are learning how to code. And, and I think that you're kind of on that path. Um, if you know how to write macros in Excel and you understand like formulas um, and pivot tables, like you're, you can basically apply the same principles to coding as well. It's just, you know, more admin essentially. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, so, so yeah, I think, I think, um, I think you're in a good position if you're doing that. Uh, the, uh, the way that I learned, uh, I did a course called One Month Rails uh, uh, by a guy called Matan Griffel. He was, he actually founded the first uh, growth hacking um, agency in New York, uh, which is how I heard about him. Uh, but uh, but that was really good because it showed me like it was it was kind of like just do what I say uh, and then and then like by the end of the course it's like you have a website live um, and uh, and I think that you should always kind of look for those types of courses first like you know people who learn a foreign language like we talked about Spanish earlier like they learn it because they you know have a girlfriend or a boyfriend uh, who speaks that language you know or because they live in that country and it's useful for them every day. And I think that, like, uh, you know, you don't really learn a language by going grammar first. It's really boring. Mm. It's too too tedious, you know. And, and like, stupidly, everyone tries to learn code by going grammar first. Uh, you actually want to learn how to solve problems um, and then kind of think about the systems for solving problems and then, uh, and then eventually kind of learn how to code it. Uh, so I think that kind of reverse uh, view is, is, is really important. Like, if you can tend to take specific problems and go, like, how would I automate this like if i needed to do this a thousand times or ten thousand times like how would i change the task kind of learning how to formalize problems first um uh then then kind of learn how to automate it afterwards i think like that's that's really the best best path i'm um i find uh there's so many great resources online i'm taking freed code free code camp and yeah. odin yeah, projects yeah, online great. and yeah. uh I, I used to be signed up to some paid programs and actually preferred the content on this. Um, yeah. Yeah. And every time I have a question, I've got uh, my teacher YouTube. Um, so I find that, you know, <laughs> the, the resources are always out there and there is actually really high quality free um, information if, you know, if you want it, if the person can look for it. But what resources yeah. would you recommend people to go to if they want to get, and let's talk about sort of three kind of levels. Uh, complete novice, uh, someone who has a basic understanding and maybe someone who wants to progress to a more advanced level. So starting with the basic one, yeah. what kind of resources would you point them to? Yeah, so um, actually, like I agree with you that the free resources are usually the best, um, especially because, um, you know, there's there's always like some random YouTube video that you can find or some Stack Overflow comment that, uh, you know, that just saves your day when you're running into a problem. So so that's that's pretty common. And that's why engineers always like, uh, even though en engineers earn a lot of money, they're also very wary of paying for anything because the quality of the free content in this domain is amazing. Um, uh, but no, I think you can sometimes take shortcuts by paying. Um, like if you're a complete beginner, I think it is helpful to have a coach, um, you know, someone to kind of walk you through it. 
uh, and and kind of make sure you are held accountable. Like I, I think about it like fitness, right? Like if you if you if you're like completely new to the gym, uh, you're not going to have a good time. You won't know how to use any of the machines. Um, you know, you might be like exercising the wrong way and cause loads of problems, um, hurt your back or something, right? So, uh, so like you know, spending some time with a fitness trainer is useful. So I think like doing a coding boot camp is a valid approach. Um, don't expect like when you come out of the coding bootcamp uh, that you'll actually be able to get a software development job. I think it's mm -hmm. still like another, you know, year after that before you're ready. Um, but, uh, but like that is a good shortcut um, and, and will keep you motivated. Um, I just kind of hacked it myself. Like I, I, I like looked at the cost of Lambda school, which is like, you know, 20, 30 grand um, and just thought, what could I, like how many people could I hire uh, for for 20 grand you know like how much time with uh, with the developer one-on-one -on -one could I get so I just went and like paid a bunch of people <laughs> you know I didn't I didn't even cost me 20, 20 grand I think it was like five uh, and I just paid you know as I as I ran into problems I would just like pay different people to teach me them um, and uh, and that worked out really well like you know, it's like 60 bucks an hour so um, so you can get a lot of one-on-one -on -one, uh, tuition that way I, I do something very similar I have a, a regular call with a student who I pay and he's a PhD student and uh, yeah. every week I'll, I'll assemble all the questions that I have and I'll be like okay cool and I'll ask you a bunch of really dumb questions um, yeah. but uh, and it, I find that a really yeah fun way and, and I try to sort of build learn by building um, you know I've got a bunch that's, of side projects that's that key. Kind of yeah like... that yeah that's absolutely key that that's what I would say you need to do as like uh, you know to get into the intermediate stage uh, you need to actually apply it like you can do tutorials forever and never make any progress um mm. like you know you, you can't really build anything after doing code academy right like it's uh, i think um but but like by trying to like you do need a base level of knowledge but once you have that like actually trying to build something like i was trying to build just before i started vex power i was trying to build uh, an analytics tool that attract virality <laughs> very topical <laughs> um but uh but it was uh you know like i that ultimately didn't succeed um, but, uh, but it was really, really valuable. Like it taught me a lot about, you know, when you're publishing stuff to production and you have bugs, like it causes loads of problems on people's websites and, you know, you need to, you need to have systems in place to fix that, you know, kind of like learn by doing is, is really powerful. Um, mm -hmm. so, so yeah, I think intermediate stage, you really want to get into actually solving a real problem, trying to build something, a side project, or even going full-time on, on something. Um, uh, and then for advanced. Uh, the way you learn is usually by uh, mentorship. Um, so like actually talking to people who are you know, further along than you are and kind of understanding what they find important um, uh, because they can kind of, you don't want to be too far advanced, uh, but like close enough to your range, like a year ahead of you, um, mm. then, uh, you know, they'll be really good to learn from. And uh, I found, I found it been really useful to do things like pair programming. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, you jump on, uh, at the same time, like one of you is driving and the other other one is watching and, and talking. And uh, you're it might seem like really inefficient to have, be paying two developers uh, to be, you know, working on the same thing. But, uh, but uh, you know, it just uh, catches a lot of bugs, you know, like uh, make sure you build things the right way. Um, you can kind of keep each other accountable. So um, I, I think that, that that's been really key as well. Is there any websites or communities that you'd like to give a shout out to? Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, VexPower, uh, <laughs> like we, you know, we have, um, you know, we have a, like a problem first uh, approach. So it's kind of um, like every, like I said before, like actually solving problems is one of the ways that you get better at this. And and uh, so, you know, we, we don't really teach any theory. Um, you know, we didn't really teach it. It's not like lecture style videos. It's like, how do you specifically solve this problem? So I think that's kind of the niche we're trying to occupy. Uh, but um, in terms of resources I found helpful, FreeCodeCamp was really good. Um, I, I, I specifically enjoyed DataQuest. Uh, I think it was really, really good for learning the data science side of things, um, which is really valuable for marketing. Um, uh, so that's how I really learned Python. Um, and it was only really when I, when I started learning Python that I, it clicked for me and I kind of got more into coding uh, because JavaScript is useful, but it's also, there's a lot going on and like it's used for a lot of different things. Whereas the Python community is, um, 
you know, very, very data kind of manipulation oriented. Um, so if you kind of want to get better at data analysis, then getting into that ecosystem is useful. And then eventually I kind of circled back around and, you know, once I wanted to put a front end on some of the stuff I was building, uh, that's when I started to learn React and like uh, Next.js is a pl platform that I use. Um, and, and that's all JavaScript. So uh, kind of understanding how those interplay is, is really useful. Um, elite data science is another one that I found useful. Um, and then uh, actually the most useful is I did a couple of the MIT courses. Uh, and I, I can't say like I understood everything. <laughs> uh, it definitely made me feel dumb, but also kind of made me feel smart at the same time. Cause I'm like, wow, I can like do an MIT class and like pass the test. It's kind of nuts. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I think, I think like that, you know, that kind of pushed me a lot further than I would have gone uh, just doing basic tutorials. Cool. Yeah, that sounds really useful. I'm, I'm definitely excited to check that out. Um, what, what kind of languages would you say are important uh, to know in this kind of field? Yeah, so um, I think languages aren't as important uh, as everyone thinks because like most programmers, like as they get better, will just use different languages um, because you know different languages are good for different things. They have different libraries, different ecosystems. Uh, but I would say you can't really go wrong uh, with JavaScript and Python, uh, like that's you know what I primarily use. Um, JavaScript is really good uh, for front end. So if if the thing that you really care about is like setting up tracking or building landing pages, uh, building websites, um, you know you really need to know JavaScript. There's no substitute. And if you only ever learn JavaScript, then you're going to be in a good position. Um, so so I would say like that's probably the most useful. It can also be used on the back end as well. So um, you can really do pretty much anything you want with JavaScript. Um, that said, if you are, um, you know, going to be more of the data science side, like if you don't really care about, you know, the presentation and like building a tool, building a website, but much, you know, you care about the insights and kind of looking at the analysis, looking at the customer data, um, then Python um, is is much better for that. And a lot mm -hmm. of the best like machine learning libraries are in Python as well, uh, which makes it quite interesting and exciting. And th that stuff is actually way more accessible than you'd realize. Um, for specific statistics, a lot of people use R, uh, which is, uh, I find it a bit old school. It kind of reminds <laughs> me of like uh, when I was in university and we did like a couple of like old school kind of statistics package. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that, um, but it is very, very good for things like marketing mix modeling. Like a lot of the experts in that use R, uh, like Facebook's marketing mix modeling tools is written in R, uh, for example. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think I think like uh, SQL is is uh, universally useful. Um, like if you're graduating, if you're doing a lot of Excel work and you want to graduate to database work, uh, then then SQL is like you know the language that you use for that. Um, and and everyone, every programmer also needs to know a little bit of SQL uh, because uh, you know programming is almost always about like getting data from a database, doing something with it, and then sending it somewhere. Um, so SQL is you know, this, it stands for structured uh, query language. It's like the, the language of the database. Um, uh, so that's, uh, that's very, very useful as well. What about uh, regex? Yeah, regex, uh, I don't know anyone who likes regex, <laughs> but it's, it's very, very useful. Uh, but like, you know, even today, like I, you know, I've been doing regex, I've probably done regex uh, for longer than any other type of coding thing, uh, because it's usually useful in, um, in like uh, analysis, right? Like if you want to extract, um, if, if all your campaigns are named something like US uh, slash like lookalike slash, you know, um, like blah, blah, blah. It, you know, you can kind of extract different parts of the campaign and do be better analysis that way. Um, kind of look at all the US campaigns or all the lookalikes and kind of see how they perform. Uh, so it's useful for that. Uh, but I still don't really 100% know how it works. And I still have to use like one of these regex testing websites. Um, and it's kind of voodoo. Uh, and it's a, it's a really weird language. Uh, but but yeah, no, I think like uh, regex is similar to SQL in that like every developer uses it at some point. But but like nobody really like, uh, not that many people like just, just do that, if that makes sense. Mm. Cool. And um, I mean, talking about sort of your uh, evolution in the, the field, Based on what you know now, if you could tell yourself something two years ago with that in, with what you know now, what would that be? Something to guide you, something to focus uh, your learnings? 
Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, I think it's it's hard to, uh, even if I had told myself this, like I wouldn't have listened. Uh, maybe people did, did even tell me this, uh, but um, like division of labor is important. <laughs> uh, like, you know, one of the things we we always fought against at Ladder was um, we we wanted to be generalists. Like we always found it was really good to you know be able to like do some email CRM and like you know do like some landing page testing and do like tracking and uh, Facebook ads, Google ads, everything. So like we did growth, like whatever helps you grow. But like then you know what are you also going to do finance as well because you know raising debt also like helps you grow and like are you going to do hr because like hiring mm -hmm. people better makes you grow so so like we we really hit a wall once we get got past like 20 30 people uh, and 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 really had to reinvent the agency around specialism um, we actually lost a lot of our best people because they wanted to be generalists and we just realized we couldn't afford to um, be you know a company of generalists anymore and i think that happens with every company but I kind of learned the power of specialism because I, I, you know, the, the thing that made a lot of sense to me once I figured it out was like when I was building the training plans for ladder and I'm like, okay, well, there's like, you know, I mapped out like all the skills that you need uh, to be a growth marketer at ladder. And, and it was like, you know, 50, say 50 things. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and, and like, when I looked at it, I was like, okay, well, if I like, you know, in month one, if we teach you these five things, about like PPC and then like month two we teach you these five things about like design copywriting and then like month three we teach you these five things about landing pages uh, like you're going to go through and like by month six you'll have like a small amount of knowledge in each channel but like you know if if you just started month one and you learned five things about PPC and then month two five more things about PPC and month three five things about like you'll get like you will have like six times the PPC knowledge of, of uh, you know, someone who's been a generalist. And, and it's so like, it's inescapable, the economics of it, right? Like you, you just, you're going to be so much better at PPC if that's all you did. Um, mm. And maybe a little bit of dabbling in other things um, wherever it brushes up against PPC. Uh, but like uh, the, the other thing that's interesting about that is, is um, you're going to be like so much more confident in a meeting. Like if you've only, if you, you know, just learned a little bit of PPC last month and then you go into a meeting about PPC with the client, they're going to run circles around you. And like we had clients like Monzo Bank and Booking.com who are like world-class at the stuff themselves. Uh, so like we couldn't afford to be, you know, the, the least knowledgeable people in the room. Um, so, so like when we switched to specialism, we went from, you know, we were always either like, you know, making 5% margin or losing 5% margin. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when we, when we switched to specialism and kind of had like a PBC team, you know, a design team, a copy team, conversion team, a tracking team, uh, then, uh, then we went, uh, we went from, uh, like that, you know, losing 5% of money to, you know, making 20% plus margin. It was, it was night and day. And, and the weird thing about it is that like, we're not very good judges of our own productivity. Like everyone in the company thought the productivity had gone down, but the numbers showed the opposite. Uh, so like, I think generalism is one of those things where you feel productive because you're doing lots of different things and novelty is something you get that gets noticed by your brain. Uh, but you're actually not being more productive. Like you, uh, it's much more productive to do the boring stuff that like you already know how to do and just like do it a thousand times um, and, and kind of become the best person in the world at that thing. Because like, almost all of the profits come from being the best. Like if you're, you know, if, if you're just, if you're doing SEO for a client and like they're in position four on Google, um, and then you like spend some time doing Facebook ads instead of trying to rank, you know, position three, position two, you're doing a massive disservice because you're going to get like two or three times the volume at position two or three, and like maybe even 10 times the volume at position one. Uh, so there's an exponential return from being slightly better uh, mm. in that one channel. And if you're going to then go do another channel, you're going to be like, you know, position four at everything, right? Um, and you're never going to kind of get into the the money uh, positions. Uh, so, so I think that's kind of really changed my thinking. And again, it's I think it's something you have to kind of go through the pain of and like internalize because um, we're hardwired to be to to chase novelty. Um, mm. And uh, and it's very very hard to be more mature and kind of like no, I'm just going to focus on this one thing that I'm really good at. And and once you kind of do that, you realize you're making a lot more money. You're having a much bigger impact. You're working for more more interesting companies as well. I think one of the most uh, 
common pieces of advice that I share with my clients is to focus um, their value proposition on either a, like a niche segment of customer or on a you know segment of the problem. And they're basically like focus. And in fact, for my own agency, I would say that's probably the, the single biggest uh, fault that I have, being too much of yeah. a generalist. Everyone, and, yeah. And I, I know it, I see it, and yet it, it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, I think if you're starting yeah. off and you're going to the industry, it's a good, you know, you, you start with a clean slate and it's a good time to, to go in from a specific focused perspective. And analytics and attribution is definitely a, a fantastic um, opportunity for you know, career-wise. There's so much uh, demand for good people. There's so much interesting technology. It's such an interesting field, really. It's evolving very quick. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I uh, keep getting surprised by, but I shouldn't be at this point, is uh, just how deep every field goes, right? Like, I remember Ladder, we were, I was very proud of the fact that we had run 7,000 experiments. Like, when we when we looked back at, like, all of our experiment logs, like, for every client, it was, like, 7,000 experiments, like, 30% of them were successful. It was really cool to see that. We wrote a blog post about it. And then, I like, the next day, I read a post about how uh, Uber's team uh, run like 8,000 experiments a year. And I was thinking like, we've run like 7,000 experiments in six years, you know, with a team of 50 people. Um, and, and, and Uber is just doing like just conversion optimization, right? Mm. Uh, and like retention optimization, like for, for one specific app. Like if we had Uber as a client, we'd be doing six years worth of work in one year. And, you know, and, and like, what would, how good would we have to be at conversion optimization to land Uber as a client, you know? Um, and can you, when you see that, and like Uber is just one company, there's like a hundred or, you know, 200 of these companies of a similar size um, uh, that you, you could have like five of them as clients and be, be uh, enormous. You could be like 10, you know, a hundred times bigger as, uh, than the ladder is. Mm. Um, and, and that kind of really struck home because like, you're never going to land Uber as a client uh, on conversion optimization if like that's not the only thing you you're doing right mm -hmm. um so uh, so so like the, the amazing depth like and you know i i went into the niche of marketing mixed modeling last year when i was consulting uh and and again i saw it like you know i was doing marketing mixed models for like small companies and i was doing it in excel and doing it like you know like two, a two-day project you know charge a couple of grand it was good money and pretty happy with it but then uh, but then like i talked to someone who does like the marketing mixed model for disney and it's like six people full-time they do two models a year um and, and this is just for disney parks right like they have different you know divisions um and and like think of all like the complexity that goes into that uh you know and, and disney's, disney's hiring these six people full-time uh, just to improve the model uh you know and and it's uh, you know that's just like one company right like there's mm. you know the fortune 500 out there uh, every single one of them has a marketing mix model um you know so so like the, there's there's so much depth in even a, like what you would think is a small niche uh, that maybe like most, most marketers haven't even heard of MMM, uh, you know, but, but like that, that in itself is an enormous niche. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I think that like, the, just trust that like you could honestly roll the dice and pick a specialism at random as like a junior person. Uh, and as, and, and like most people never, you know, because they're doing generalism, like most people never even spend six months on one thing, right? So if you just mm -hmm. spend six months on one thing, you're suddenly, already much better than the most of uh, the people with five, 10 years experience on you. Um, so, so like it is very accessible and, and don't worry too much about what specialism you choose. Cause you can always kind of leverage that to get into something different. So onto a slightly different topic um, with the introduction of GDPR, um, California's regulation, you know, the, the increased awareness about GA and, and its data storage in the EU, do people need to, no, let me rephrase that question. To what extent do people need to understand policy and government regulation with regards to data and tracking? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, and I, I'm not a lawyer, so this isn't legal advice. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but um, by and large, uh, the this is like a political power play, right? Like this is, um, you know, the the. Uh, you know, the, there are people making laws, like whether it's Apple making, changing the laws of uh, privacy uh, for their app store, um, or if it's, you know, the EU changing uh, privacy laws. Um, it's not necessarily actually to prevent consumer harm, uh, because it's very hard to argue that, you know, showing someone more relevant ads uh, for things that they're more likely to buy is, is a bad thing, right? Um, uh, but 
uh, it gets worded that way, uh, but it's it's really I think like a power grab. Um, uh, and and who are they trying to grab power from? Well, they're trying to grab power from Facebook, from Google, uh, and and they're the ones that are going to hit be hit by the fines. Um, uh, you know, and and they're the ones that these laws are kind of targeted at. I think if you're running a small business, as long as you're not doing anything really dodgy, you're probably going to you know go under the radar. Um, I, I think uh, you know if you if you're not really looking at your data, like if you're not you know, analyzing, if you're not logging into Google Analytics every week, uh, you probably um, don't even need it, right? Controversially, <laughs> you know, Ooh. like if, if you know, like, like I mean, uh, it's nice to have, but, but like uh, if most of your business comes from like leads and, and like you're just tracking how many leads you got, um, you know, like you're not going to learn a lot. Like if, if you're a small business, uh, you're not going to learn a lot by having GA on your site. Um, if you really want that data and you, you care about it, uh, then you can use a more privacy-friendly uh, solution like plausible analytics uh, or simple analytics. Uh, and, like they they do charge like thirty dollars a month, I think. But uh, but like that's that's like it's it's kind of done in a way that you know doesn't use uh, cookies like Google does. So I think there are options out there, uh, but but usually um, you know none of that data is being used. And and if data is not being used, you shouldn't collect it in the first place. I mean that's actually one of the principles of GDPR. Um, uh, so I think I think in general, uh, just just think like be honest with yourself about whether you're actually going to use the data before you collect it, um, and and do you really need like a single custom review, which is actually impossible to achieve anyway. Uh, when you could uh, you know just kind of go the other way, like if you're small, you know your A/B test results are not going to be statistically significant. Like if you're small, like uh, you know you're going to get like ten visits from Twitter this week and like zero visits next week, like. What does that really tell you? Um, you know, like you will see, like when you post a, a tweet that gets a lot of traction, you'll see like a bunch of people will tell you, "Hey, I came from Twitter." Right? Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of like, you know, I think analytics is a is a game for the big dogs. You know, like if unless you're actually you know going to be using that data and you have a team of people whose job is to use that data, uh, you probably don't need to collect it in the first place. Cool. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a very valid point. If you if, if there is no need for that data, save yourself stress and uh you know be more adherent to to policy regulation by just not collecting in the first place interesting to yeah. hear your recommendation i guess it makes sense though if you're just looking at it and you're not actually using that information for anything valuable more out of just pure curiosity then there is a case to be made for for not having ga at all yeah i mean you don't need data to think logically about your strategy necessarily right like um you know you like data will tell you about what you have been doing and whether that has worked, uh, but it won't really help you like figure out what to do next. Um, and that's a big mistake a lot of people make. Like to figure out what's gonna what's gonna work, you actually need like third party data. You need like benchmarks. Um, you know, you need uh, to talk to other people and find out what's working for them. Right, that's mm -hmm. the data you need. And uh, and you know that doesn't come from GA. Um, uh, like you you want to kind of understand like. You know, from hrefs like what uh you know what keywords are underserved right like that's the data you need uh but like looking at your own keywords like is only really useful if you're already ranking for a lot of stuff um mm. uh if that makes sense so especially if you're very small you basically can just ignore data um until you get big enough uh <laughs> you know um and and like just go off uh you know like uh, what's causing a spike um you know and and like uh, what customers are telling you directly it's only really when you get to scale uh, that you need to, you know, scale the collection of data as well. And and I think there's like different levels of data that are appropriate at different stages of the business. Um, and obviously, once you get to Uber's level, then you need to track everything. But but then you'll also have the resources to hire lawyers to tell you exactly what you're allowed mm -hmm. to track and what, mm -hmm. what you're not allowed to track. So like, if you can't afford a lawyer, you probably can't afford data collection either. <laughs> you know? So thinking about um, the tools and platforms that we use to collect data, to what extent yep. do they vary by industry? So if you're a B2C company versus B2B, and then also, you know, thinking about mobile applications versus retail stores, very different um, user journeys, type of customers. How does that vary? Can you develop a generalist understanding, then specialize, or should you uh, go industry specific? What are your thoughts? 
yeah, good question. Because I, I, you know, grew up on the web, the open web mostly, and then uh, and then we started to get mobile app clients, and I was like, oh god, this is so different. <laughs> you know, like uh, like on 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 the web, you can use uh, URL parameters to track, um, uh, and that comes as standard, right? Like every analytics tool can pick up on these. So you can even write your own code to to pick up on them. Um, that's just not possible in mobile, right? Like you have to use something like AppsFlyer um, or Adjust, um, you know, like one of these kind of link attribution tools, uh, Branch was a, another one that we used a lot. Um, and uh, and they need to have some kind of really fancy way of telling you know, that the person who uh, who like clicked on the ad was the same person who then installed later. That connection is broken by Apple and it actually always was before uh, iOS 14. Um, like Apple never shared um, you know, where this user came from uh, uh, when, when they opened the app. Um, so and so that's, that's been the biggest difference in terms of analytics, uh, the biggest challenge. I think um, at large scale, uh, analytics is all the same. It kind of converges. Uh, you, you eventually, you know, uh, like all of your data is in a database and you use SQL to access the database. And that's what like every big company uses. Um, and you might use a layer on top of the SQL, like you might use a BI tool um, uh, like um, Tableau, for example, or Google Data Studio. Um, and that sits on top and kind of makes it no code, uh, but like the data lives in the database and it's just about joining data uh, together. Um, so eventually it converges to that, but at the smaller level, there are differences in tools and, and like, uh, it usually comes down to user experience. Like, uh, you know, some people prefer uh, the old Google Analytics, some people prefer the new one. The new one is much uh, more flexible in terms of it's like targeted at, you know, it doesn't assume that there's a page view, right? Like, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, it's more about events. Um, so I think there are smaller differences, but you know, I, I learned how to use Google Analytics first. And then when Mixpanel came out, like it was pretty quick for me to pick it up. Uh, it is slightly different architecture. It's more about funnels and stuff. Uh, but then, you know, once I knew Mixpanel, I also pretty easily learned Amplitude. Um, so, so once you understand how data is structured and kind of understand from first principles what's happening, uh, then it's usually pretty quick to jump to another tool. Uh, so I think people worry about the tool much more than they should. Um, uh, you know, like if you're not tracking data, you know, if you're not doing analysis, then like using any tool is better than no tool, right? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. You know, like, like uh, you know, we, we had a client that was using Omniture, uh, Adobe product, um, which is really old school uh, and, and not as easy to use as uh, some of the more modern ones, but, but like we still managed to do the analysis, right? Like it's, the data is still there. Uh, they they all kind of converge on the same charts and you know the same ways of looking at the data because uh, fundamentally that's what like the customers are asking them to provide um, and and if it exists in one analytics tool then you know the next analytics tool that comes along is going to copy it um, so so yeah I, I wouldn't worry too much about uh, which tool you learn mm. cool um, yeah there is there is so many tools and so many platforms out there if someone's getting into the industry what what um what aspects should they be thinking about as they're learning should they be thinking about um b2b versus b2c whether they they want to focus mm -hmm. on apps or not like what is the criteria that they should start to ask themselves at the beginning of that journey yeah i, I think i touched on this a little bit at the beginning but um but the business model uh makes a massive difference to how much data you're going to need um, and, and how much data analytics is going to be valuable in the company. Like if you're a coffee shop, like you probably need zero data analytics, right? Like you post on Instagram and like people comment and then they might come into the store like when they walk past. Um, uh, but like if you're Uber, you're going to need a, you, know, you know, thousands of data engineers and analysts. Um, uh, you know, so um, I think, uh, you know, if you're in the app ecosystem, usually the scale is very large because even a small app uh, that you release um, uh, by an indie developer. You know, like if, you, if you release a game, gaming app that becomes popular, it can very easily scale to like millions of users. Like um, I remember, I don't know if you remember like Flappy Bird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a, this app that came out, it was just like one guy in Vietnam that made it. And then it was like suddenly printing like 60 grand a day in, in ad, ad <laughs> revenue because uh, it went viral. And so, so like, I think you need like very large, like a lot of analytics when it comes to the mobile app ecosystem. I think for D2C, like e-commerce, um, it's like a nice healthy mix. Like you need to understand brand 
and like the business um, and like what, like you don't have enough data to make every decision with data, but you have enough data to kind of make some decisions. So I think like DTC is probably like a nice entry ramp onto analytics um, and, and like DTC companies usually are pretty easy to understand with analytics, like much easier than being in the gaming industry mm -hmm. um, uh, or, or, you know, FinTech, uh, something like that. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think like publishing is also a really interesting industry because you have like a lot of readers and, and most of them aren't necessarily logged in. Um, if you work for a subscription business, you usually need a lot more analytics than, uh, than if you're just working for an advertising backed business, uh, because like when you have a subscription, uh, you have a customer ID, uh, and that customer ID ties, uh, all the different platforms together. So you kind of need to understand, like, do they go from mobile to desktop and, and, back, and you know, mm. vice versa. Um, so, so yeah, I think about that, um, you know, it's, it's about the scale of the business and also like whether, you know, analytics is the, the reason they succeed versus just like one of the things they do. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, you can choose your own comfort level. Like, uh, you might not be happy in a company that uses a lot of analytics. Um, if, if you don't want to, you know, get to PhD level, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, like, it, you know, DTC is a great business, a great type of business to work in. If, if that's, if that's what you want, if you want to, you know, be like, I, uh, with some of the DTC businesses I've worked with, like, uh, just knowing how to do pivot tables and knowing how to export data from GA uh, makes you like the smart data guy in the company, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and like, that's a really fun position to be in because like everyone comes to you with the questions, like the CEO asks, you know, for your input on stuff. Uh, so like that, you actually hold a lot of power with like, and it, but it's like an accessible power. It's not something that like takes a long time to learn. Uh, mm. So like that, that's probably like the sweet spot, I think. Cool. Um... Now, wrapping up and coming near to the end, I've uh, got to change topic ever so slightly. Um, with blockchain and the world of crypto and Web3, how do you see that in terms of analytics and tracking? Is it different? Is it the same? Do you have to think about different aspects of it? What's your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I um, I haven't been along for the ride on this wave as much as uh, the previous crypto waves. Um, you know, like I bought Bitcoin back when it was like, you know, three hundred dollars, and then sold it when it was four hundred. <laughs> uh, so, so like I, I am both a visionary and an idiot. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, we we also participated in the ICO craze. Like you know, we ran like six ICO campaigns uh, for different companies, and actually one of them did succeed, uh, and and uh, all, all the rest failed. Um, uh, you know, so so like I was a little bit hesitant to go into like this this wave of crypto and and NFTs, but it, it does feel like there's something there now. You know, like it feels like. There's still a lot of scamming going on, but uh, but it is like you know it, it feels like they are kind of starting to build infrastructure. Kind of uh, I liken it to uh, you know Web 1.0, like the the dot com burst. Um, you know the, when that bubble burst, like you know all the kind of crap companies got found out, and it looks like the bubble's bursting now. Uh, so I think like the next wave of crypto is the right one to be on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, because that's like, you know, web 2.0 was the right, right time to enter the market, right? Like if you became an early Facebook employee or early Google employee, like, yeah, <laughs> you mm -hmm. made bank, um, you know, yeah. so, uh, so yeah, I think, I think like, it's a good, it, it will like during a down run, like it's a really good time to get into an industry, uh, because mm -hmm. then you're there and you have the experience and the knowledge, like for when it starts to peak. Um, but uh, crypto is really interesting from an analytics point of view because it's like very technical um, uh, and, and it's very open. Like the database is public, uh, like, you know, like Uber's database isn't public. You have to work at Uber, you know, to, to do analytics there. Uh, but like, you know, if there's a crypto Uber out there and, and their database is public because it's on the blockchain, you can do some really crazy analysis even without any permission from that company. Um, so I think that does change the game and you're going to see a lot of really exciting stuff happening in analytics there uh, just because, um, you know, you, you can, you know, it is accessible to, you know, people who maybe wouldn't like pass a traditional job interview, you know, maybe like, that company doesn't hire people in Botswana, right? But like, if you're a talented data scientist in Botswana and you've kind of, you know, really struggled to like learn how to do this stuff, and uh, you've been doing uh, free code camp, and you know, you, you kind of get there, and uh, and then and then you like do an amazing piece of analysis, you might actually then get you know, hired by that company because they're like, wow, this this guy really understands our, our chain, you know. Mm. Um, so I, I think um, I think that's like that's a really exciting thing. I think it opens the entry point for like more junior people to really just like show their work 
kind of show that they know how to solve problems and like practice on these open data sets. Uh, so I think like that's the biggest difference. Cool. And um, slightly unrelated, but uh, you've worked with hundreds of companies over the years. What would you say is the most common issues that you see? Okay, yeah, yeah, most common issues. So yeah, like we had, I remember I looked, we had, um, it was like 120, 130 companies who worked with at Ladder. Um, uh, and and uh, yeah, most of them were, were small startups. Um, I would say uh, probably the biggest problem um, was uh, that they just didn't have like any grounding in in their like forecasts, <laughs> right? Like, uh, I, I mean, uh, obviously like with startups, you have to be ambitious. Like you have to kind of say like, oh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna grow to this level. Um, but they're not like very scientific with these forecasts. Like they'll say, you know, they'll put together like a five-year P&L um, and it would be like, you know, we're gonna double in this year and then double in this year. And like, when you look at the formulas in the Excel, it's like, they literally just like, went like equals last year times you know two <laughs> you know like they didn't do any analysis to figure it out like they didn't even look at any benchmarks like i i, I um i helped a client launch uh launch like a pretty prominent startup in in a new market and they were like a really successful company that obviously like uses data a lot um but like the forecasts they gave me were like they were going to get app installs for two dollars and uh and like 40 percent of people were going to convert um, you know, uh, and, and, and this was like, you know, this was like a banking app. So it was like, it was a really long conversion funnel. And, and I was just like, it's just not gonna, like, that's not realistic. Like you, you could build the best banking app in the world and you're not going to get like 40%, uh, conversion, uh, from, from like install to like actually having a card delivered, right? Like mm. it's just not realistic. So, so like, um, you know, like, the, like I could tell, I, I did tell them that that was going to fail um you know straight up and said like you know you need to have some more realistic assumptions and or like we need to do some testing to kind of uh, establish what those assumptions could be um but also from from their perspective they know that like if like they're raising money based on these assumptions and if they're investors you know if, if they don't sell the story then then like potentially they're not even going to get the investment in the first place and won't even get a chance to try so kind of understand it but like that's the biggest problem i would see is like you have to kind of I think they're really good businesses. Um, like they, they, they like, they don't, they don't assume they're going to do really, really well. Uh, they, uh, and, and then, and then launch and then, and then they fail, like fall, fall short of that. I think the really good businesses are the ones where they do something and they go, wow, that worked better than I expected. Let's do mm. more of that. Um, I think like that's the subtle shift. So it's like, you know, like I, I obviously can't share what like Monzo Bank's conversion rate was, but it was like very high. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and, and like, they didn't like launch the business i'm sure saying hey we're going to have a really high conversion rate but what they did is they built a really good product um and then the conversion rate was ridiculously high so then they're like great it's very very high so we can like afford to spend on paid ads um with this conversion rate like we can afford mm. to do tv with this conversion rate so so i think like that's the subtle difference is like it's they don't like expect magic to happen um and then and then get disappointed instead they look for magic happening uh and then build on that yeah yeah i definitely see that i think having a, a good understanding of the benefits of analytics and, and attribution um is is just i find myself educating startups and like talking about how that process works and just basically being like get better insight you can understand people are like oh that's cool okay yeah sure but previously i've you know gone into companies and been like you know they may have ga installed but they're not looking at the data or something so there's there's a lot of issues around that field um yeah so we're coming up to an hour now or just over an hour um is there anything that you'd like to share with the audience um, yeah, I, I mean, for for us right now, like we're we're pretty early on at Vex Power. Like, uh, you know, we built the platform ourselves uh, as I was learning how to code, um, uh, and uh, you know, we've been uh, producing the content in house. Um, I, I think we're we're still like trying to figure out um, the model and uh, how to scale it. Like, um, you know, we're still like we think magic is happening, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, but like. Uh, we're still looking for ways to double down on it. So I think like if anyone um, wants to give any feedback, like we have a, you know, open uh, discord 
um, chat, like similar to Slack, um, uh, where anyone could just join and kind of give feedback um, or ask for help on on the courses. So uh, yeah, definitely like, you know, we're in the stage where we're just like looking for um, feedback, like we're trying to, you know, figure out ways to hustle and grow it. Um, uh, you know, so so like uh, any, uh, always happy to have those conversations uh, if anyone does have a strong opinion on it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that I genuinely think the courses are good. Like I'm trying to design them to be like the things that I wish I had when I was at Ladder. Um, you know, I'm really channeling our actual experiences. Like a lot of the, you know, problems and questions and characters are based off real clients. Uh, uh, obviously, I wouldn't tell them which ones. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, like that's, uh, you know, that's that's what I'm focused on right now. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'd like uh, also happy to help point anyone in the right direction if they are early in their career, kind of figuring out like, should I be spending my time on this, like attribution stuff or, you know, creative or like what channel should I attach my name to? Like, wh where should my specialism be? Um, you know, that's, uh, I think that's, that's like an endlessly fascinating topic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that I'm always like just interested in hearing what, um, you know, people are, are, are considering now, like, cause it keeps me fresh and kind of helps me understand like what channels are starting to become popular and, you know, like where, like, where is the interest moving? Um, yeah, so, so yeah, always happy to have those conversations. Cool. Well, um, yeah, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been really educational and fun. Um, and hopefully it will be for the rest of the Growth Mentor community and anyone else who happens to watch this. Great. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for the interview. It's been, um, it's been, I mean, like, you know, I love Growth Mentor and, um, you know, the community is just crazy. Like, it's, it's like too good, like it shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so, so, yeah, like, happy to do something like this. Sweet. Cool. Cheers, Michael. All right, take care.